Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 185 of Dogcast Radio, in which we'll be hearing from animal naturopath Lindall Pynchon. What we want is we want to start off by making, as you say, small changes. So let's just start by getting that diet right and let's even do that gradually. So we, whether we do that over a period of days, weeks or even in some cases months in some dogs, all of those changes from that perspective are still going to be positive. Lindall also has ideas for a more natural approach to parasites and vaccinations. You can find this episode and all our others as well as our blog, lots of photos, articles and more at our website www.dogcastradio.com. Now we have an interview with Julie Austin about the Doggy Food Bank. The Doggy Food Bank feeds the dogs of the poor and homeless. It's very simple. I'll tell you how it started. I was on my street, just walking to the street corner, and there was a woman standing there with a couple of suitcases and a dog, and she looked like she was newly homeless. And she, you know, I walked by, like, I, I just never, I hate to say this, I never talked to the homeless, I never, there's almost like they, I just walked past them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in the past. And she said, um, could you help me? And I thought, oh, no, she's going to ask me for money. But she said, I just need some help with my dog. She said, not for me, but for my dog. And I thought, wow, okay, that I can do. And I ran back to my uh, building and I got um, dog food from from a few of my neighbors and some of mine and, you know, brought it to her. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will help you feed your dog is the least anybody can do. It's just a simple little thing. And she said, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And what I found was that, you know, because I'd never looked before, once I started doing that, I started looking at other people who were homeless who had dogs. And I figured out there are a lot of them. I live in Los Angeles And there were a lot of them in my neighborhood. And at the end of my street, there's a big park and a lot of them were there. And I started talking to them and finding out what the deal was. And that's how I started Doggy Food Bank. Because, I mean, you're right. And a lot of us, I would imagine, you sort of, you know, the most you'll do is sort of go over, drop some money in there. If they if they have a you know hat or something out to, to to beg with, drop them some money and walk past, or sometimes just avoid eye contact, depending on your mood and what's going on in your day, and sort of you get on with your day. But then you're right because when you do start to think about it, and thinking back, I've seen quite a few homeless people with a dog, and you you know if if I've thought at all, I've thought well I'm sure that's nice company for them, but yes, then there is that issue of if you can hardly feed yourself, how can you feed your dog as well? Is it and yet, that dog must be just the centre of their world, mustn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, that's for some people, that is their only friend. And, you know, there are some people who, you know, they had a dog, like this woman had a dog before she became homeless. And then there are other people who became homeless and befriended dogs on the street. So it's not like they were taking a, you know... um a dog from someone else. I mean, they were taking the, the dog was already on the street. So they bonded together 
and the dog was going to be on the street anyway yeah. and the person was on the street anyway but their their bond together you know that i think gives them a, a big purpose and i've heard this from a lot of them is this is my purpose this is my reason for living i want to take care of this dog and they will take care of their dogs better than themselves oh they uh, many of them do really Oh, because yes, I mean, as you say, when you, you think how important your dog is to you with all the comforts of home around you and, you know, all the, all the things in your house, when you think of all the things that you, mean so much to you, if all that was stripped away and you had no home and no belongings and, you know, th- there's that dog that still loves you and is there every day. I mean, that's even, that's got to mean even more to you, hasn't it? Really, it does. And, you know, they... The thing is, I don't know how it is everywhere, but I know here food stamps and food banks don't include dog food. I never knew that before. And so they would actually get human food for themselves and then give half of it to their dogs. And it just seemed like... That's that's so crazy when I, I work as a publicist and I work in marketing, you know, I think I can probably figure out ways to help them. You know, I, yes. I had some, um, you know, dog food donated. I went on Facebook. Oh, one time I noticed a lot of them didn't have leashes. I mean, the simplest little thing that you would think they had rope and string and I, I said they need a proper leash yeah because they the they would get a ticket if they didn't have their dogs on a leash in the park and yeah. I saw it happen mm. and so I went on Facebook and I asked my Facebook friends I said do you have leashes dog leashes could be new or used that you can donate for for some of these people for the doggy food bank and less than a week later, I got started getting boxes in the mail and was able to, to help distribute some of the leashes. And it's a tiny little thing. It's really not that big. It's not like saving the world. But, you know, if you can do a little thing for someone, it really it made my day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you see, I, I think people like you are inspirational. And I mean that genuinely, because how many of us see something and think, that's not right. That should be different. How many of us then act on that and see that through that impulse, you know, actually take that and do something practical with it. So people like you, I really, really admire because that's what makes the world a better place. And and that's marvellous. So, I mean, and I was, I was thinking because in, in this country, in the UK, I, you do get... In some supermarkets, there's a collection, you know, there's a box where, where you can donate dog food or cat food for, for a charity, for a local shelter or for, you know, for a national shelter that's the local branch. But I've never seen anything for homeless people. So, again, quite possibly that, that need exists in the UK. I just haven't ever thought of it before. But um, th- that's amazing. And, and the, the leads and the collars, wow. What other things do, do homeless people need for their dogs? What needs have you come across? Well, obviously, the um, medical is going to be very expensive. I mean, that's expensive even for a, um, you know, a poor dog owner who can't afford that. Yes, yeah. And I mean, it, it depends on, you know, what the circumstances are. But, you know, I would do anything for my dog. You know? yes. It's like 
I just would. Um, but if you literally don't have it, I mean, I just can't imagine. So, I mean, we want to expand it to include medical also. You know, right now it's just in the stage of dog food, which is you know, very simple. But definitely we want to expand it to include that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's something, you know, we, we kind of take for granted love is, yeah, okay, yes, I've got to allow for this expense and taking the dog to the vets and maybe I've got to get insurance in place. But, you know, my dog's having to take extra medication at the moment with arthritis and various things. And, you know, it's a pain. But if you're in that situation where you just don't have the money at all, it's not just a stretch, you don't have the money to get that medication at all and you're seeing your dog suffer, that is awful, isn't it? I couldn't imagine. Yeah, and and I, I'm not quite sure if there are places that, you know, veterinary clinics that will donate. I, I don't know. Um, I imagine there probably are some, but because my dog actually went, she was a rescue, and I went to the vet because this was the vet who did all of their, the rescue dogs uh, operations and, you know, took care of their medical. I thought, okay, that's a vet that I want. And I still go to that vet mm. to this day. Oh, bless. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, now I know that one of the, one of the things you're um, raising money for and that would be really useful for you is a van, isn't it? So um, you don't have a van yet, do you? No, um, what I've been doing is literally just using my own car and making two or three trips at a time, which is okay for now, but it's the need is outgrowing the the money yes. <laughs> or the ability to, to, to grow it any bigger. So yeah, and I was just, you know, because I do sponsorship, I have a sponsorship business, it would be a perfect way for a company to get great PR. Yes. It's a mobile billboard, mm-hmm. basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, what a brilliant opportunity, actually, because there's so much bad press for dog food companies, you know, and food recalls and, and things. And I know that, you know, raw feeding is, is up and coming. But what an opportunity for a dog food company to get in and get you know do some good but actually get some good press from that and the first company to get in there and sponsor you is going to get the biggest slice you know slice of cake in that way so it's a great opportunity isn't it actually it is if anyone is listening <laughs> yeah absolutely get in touch <laughs> yeah but and as i say you know yes it's a great opportunity but it's actually going to do it's going to yes you're not changing the world but you're making the world a lot easier for th- those people and those dogs aren't you yes and you know um there are a lot of rescue organizations i mean that you hear about the big ones because they have a, a lot of money and you you know see them on tv and radio but there are so many small little grassroots organizations that that literally go out in the street and rescue dogs that you don't hear about mm. and those are the ones that i donate to and and donate dog food to um because they're they're rescuing these dogs that's another need for the for the dog food it's not just the homeless but it's for the rescue organizations and also for um you know a lot of people who maybe the elderly who live on a very tight fixed income and this would help them you know by being able to feed their dogs it's just a little extra thing that yeah. would help them mm. 
So tell me the, the practicalities of, of sort of, you, you've got the food in, in your car at the moment, but we're hoping, fingers crossed, you're going to have a van very soon. So you've got the food loaded up in, in the car. What do you do then? What are the practicalities of actually getting that food out to the homeless people? That's a very good question because what I found is that they're mobile. You know, it's not like you have a home and, you you know, one place that you go to. Mm. They move around a lot. And so even though a lot of them were in the park and I see them on a regular basis, you know, some days I go there and they're not there. <laughs> so they've been maybe pushed out. And they and I, I've kind of learned this little community of people and they all talk amongst each other. So I kind of know where they are. But still, it, it's a better idea to drop it off at churches and, um, you know, social services so that they and, and food banks so that they have a, a single location that they can go to. Yes. Yeah. Do you know, I I hadn't even thought of that before, that you're right, that it's not like you can say, right, I'm going to number four, whatever street now, and I I know this person's going to be there, because they may choose to move on. Or as you say, it it must be a horrible life, because they can just be made to move on, can't they? Gosh, horrible. Oh, yeah. I've I've been up in the park before, and I see... You know, because I talk to them, and, and I would never, if it wasn't for that woman standing on the street, I, ne- I probably would just be, you just walk on by and not pay any attention. But because I talk to them a lot, I've heard their stories. And if you go to doggyfoodbank.org, there, there are some of the stories are in there. And I found that, you know, a lot of them have lost their jobs they lost their, you know, their source of income, then they lose their apartment. And then it's one thing after another, and they end up on the street. And the reason the people with dogs will not go into a shelter, and they could go into a shelter, but they will not leave their dog. And there's only one shelter that I know of in all of LA that will take dogs. And there's a huge waiting list. And they just say to me, I would rather live on the street. I am not giving up my dog. Mm. Gosh, I mean, when you think, again, as we've said, how much that dog must mean to them. You know, and just just to say, yeah, I'm going to go in here and sleep. You don't know whether the dog's going to be there in the morning, whether it's going to be alive. You know, that's an impossible choice to make, isn't it? You just could not leave your dog. Right. And a lot of them, it is, for one thing, it's protection. Because they're they're on the street and the dog uh, will alert them if anyone is coming up to them. So they're for protection. They also are great, you know, for warmth. They keep them warm, uh, you know, on a cold night. And not only that, I mean, the the biggest thing is that's their best friend. So it's their comfort. It's their, you know. And um, there was one, uh, there there were one or two uh, people that I met in the park This is incredible. I was out delivering food, and these are people who literally live. The one guy has a wagon. That's what – a wagon and a bike and his three dogs. And Mm. that is all he has to his name. That's it. That's his life. Um, He used to be a construction worker and lost his job. And then, you know, one Mm. thing after another, now he's homeless. But – he volunteered, and several of these people have volunteered to help me deliver food to other homeless people. Oh, bless. That's amazing. And who, people who have literally nothing. One guy has a truck. He does have a truck because he lives in it. 
he said, hey, I have a truck. I can help you. The other guy has the wagon. And it was just so incredibly, you know, heartening to to know that these are people who literally have nothing and want to help other people still. Yeah. Yeah. It it does restore your faith in human nature, doesn't it? When you hear that kind of thing. Wow. (laughs) Yes, it does. Thank goodness it does. Yeah. Yeah. That there are nice people out there and they're not always, you know, the nicest dressed <laughs> or, you know, they've got the biggest car, but they, they're nice people. And sometimes they, they're the people that, we, you know, we, we actually try to avoid sometimes because we think, oh, I'm not sure about this. So we need to look at the world with different eyes, don't we? And sort of weigh up what's on the inside of the person. Well, you know, what's interesting is that the dogs are clean. I was going to say cleaner than my dog. But, you know, it's like <laughs> they... Make sure those dogs are just, you know, they're always getting a bath. They're all, they're very well taken care of. The the people that I've seen, well, you know, if their clothes are dirty, that's okay. But yeah. the dog, nope, that dog is coming first, and oh. they're gonna, you yeah. know, have whatever they can give them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, honestly, it must be so. And if you rewarding. look, if you look at the pictures on my website, you will see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, gosh, we'll we'll put a link to your website um, on. Um, I was going to say, if people listening to this, where, wherever they live, you know, if they live um, near you, obviously they can possibly volunteer their time or services or you know, the use of a vehicle maybe, or <laughs> we'll see. Um, but wherever we live, even if we live in you know, the UK or Australia or wherever, how can we help you, Julie? How can we contribute? Well, I do have an ongoing uh, GoFundMe campaign on doggyfoodbank.org and it's an ongoing you know it's an ongoing need just to you know get supply the food and so I work a regular job you know I work in PR and marketing and I have a couple of other businesses so I do it usually after work during the day or on the weekends but it's it's an ongoing need for for food and leashes and I would say bowls, but that's not, you know, if they're moving around, sometimes it's hard for them to um, to carry things around. A lot of the food that I have is uh, as a self-container. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yes, obviously you can't carry too much with you when, you when you're sort of on the streets. Is there anything else that you want to say, anything that we haven't covered to do with, you know, Doggy Food Bank? Wow, um, I don't know. I think that's about it. I just, you know, it's it's something that I fell into by accident. If I if a woman wasn't on the street, I would never have seen that need. And you know, I I I always look for that now. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for the people with the dogs, and and I did not do that before. So I just, you know, I say keep your eyes open for a, a need somewhere that you can something simple you can fill. Yes. Yeah, and it and, and must mean so much and make such a difference. We will put all the, the links on the Dogcast site. I know you've got a Twitter page. So we'll put all those on so that people can um, support you in whatever way they can. Julie, thank you ever so much for the work you do, and we'll, we'll try and keep up with you. It'd be lovely to talk to you again in you know, right. a year's time and see where we are with this fan. Fingers crossed for you. Great. Thank you so much. Isn't that lovely? See a need and meet it. I really hope Julie gets that van and can help even more dogs in the future. 
We have all the links via which you can find out more about and support Doggy Food Bank on the Dogcast Radio site. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Dogs are the world's third most popular pet, after fish and cats. And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News, read by me, Julie. And me, Jenny. What do you think of kennels? Whatever you're picturing now, it probably isn't one of the new doggy mansions that a company in Cheshire, UK is producing, which have faux classic columns, marble falls, tree dispensers, a conference calling system and even smart technology so the owners can control the temperature to keep their dog comfortable. The dog houses have separate living rooms and bedrooms, can have a television fitted and sell for between thirty and £170,000. But do they make a dog happy or do they give the owner the illusion of having met their dog's needs? We can't help thinking that what dogs really want is company and attention, rather than isolation and apparent luxury. And surely anyone with that amount of money to throw around, who wants to make dogs happy, would be better donating to rescue. When a woman had her phone snatched from her by two teenagers on bikes in Finsbury Park, North London, she gave chase, but had no hope of catching the criminals, until, that is, a brave dog called Tyson stepped in. Tyson and his owner joined in the chase, with Tyson snapping at one of the teenager's feet, making him jump off his bike, with the result that he was detained until the police arrived. We say, well done, Tyson, and wouldn't it be lovely if every ne'er-do-well was immediately apprehended by a passing dog? Dogs are amazing in so many ways, and what's great is that more places are recognising that. When Daisy Evans was due to pick up her degree at a graduation ceremony at Reading University, she was worried that her sister, Holly, who suffers from anxiety, wouldn't be able to cope without the calming company of her pet dog, Springer Poodle Boris. So Daisy asked the university if Boris could attend with the rest of her family, and was delighted when the university said yes. Holly found the event much easier with her dog beside her, and Boris even wore a fetching waterboard for the occasion. We love a happy ending here on Dogcast Radio, but when Darwin and Cindy Cameron's dog Mo got separated from her owners in the Idaho Mountains in America, it didn't seem that there could be a happy resolution. Having gone there for a hunting trip, Darwin and Cindy stayed on a further three months, hoping to find their Chesapeake Bay retriever. Finally, severe weather and snow meant they had to stop searching, and sadly they returned home, despairing of ever seeing their dog. Fast forward six months to Cherry Glankler, a dog rescuer, taking in a retriever who had collapsed at a nearby ranch and who had clearly been living rough. Thanks to social media, word reached the Camerons that their beloved Mo might have been found. They were nervous, having been through a few false alarms, but they were over the moon to meet the dog, who indeed turned out to be Mo, minus half her body weight and having gone deaf. Against the odds, Mo survived nine months alone in hostile conditions, and the 14-year-old is happily settled in at home, with a new nickname, The Legend. Sadly, not all dog stories have a happy ending, and a dog's life is all too short. When Pitbull Kira Lynn died, her owner, Lauren Webb, from Florida, knew she wanted to scatter Kira's ashes on the beach, where she had loved to run about, having fun chasing frisbees and tennis balls. In memory of her dog, Lauren left a laundry basket of tennis balls on the beach with a sign encouraging owners to take a ball and have fun with their dog, signed off with the hashtag for Kira Lynn. Over the next three weeks, tennis balls were gradually made good use of and some owners posted photos of their dogs to Instagram. We hope spreading the joy dogs bring into our lives helped Lauren and if you've come across a novel way to memorialise a dog, we'd love to hear about it. 
Learning canine first aid is a great idea for all dog owners, and for British model and reality star Jodie Marsh, her first aid knowledge saved her dog's life. A video was posted online recently of Jodie administering CPR to her 12-year-old bulldog Louie after he had passed out, and in fact, this is far from an isolated occurrence. Poor Louie has an elongated soft palate which makes it difficult for him to eat or drink. For over two years, Jody has been liquidizing his food, but on this occasion, all Jody's dogs had been given treats, and Louis managed to get hold of one of the other's treats. It must be awfully frightening to witness Louis passing out so completely, and Jody posted the video to inspire others to learn first aid and use it if their dogs need it. That's all we have time for on the Dogcast Radio News this time, but we'll be back soon with more of the dog stories you might have missed. If you spot a dog story you'd like to share, let us know. The ways to contact us are listed at the end of the show. Pet owners have lower blood pressure and cholesterol levels and less chance of developing heart problems than those without pets. We all want our dogs to be as healthy as possible and many of us want to do that in as natural a way as possible. Lindor Pynchon can help you achieve that. Today I'm talking to Lindall Pynchon. Hi Lindall. Hi there Julie, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you this Good. evening, which is, it's evening here for me. Yes, yes, it's morning over here still. So, so what's today been like? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a good day. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to a good day now. <laughs> you time traveller, you. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... First of all, tell me a little bit about yourself because you're, you're really interesting and your approach is, is fascinating. So tell me about yourself. Well, Julie, um, I've been in the natural therapies industry now for close on 30 years. My initial or my original uh, introduction to it was when, when I was in my very, I was about 21, I became chronically unwell and I en- ended up turning to natural, natural therapies to help me get well because I was just not getting any joy from the uh, conventional doctors at the time. And uh, this sort of sparked my journey um, into natural therapies. I decided to study uh, naturopathy and become a naturopath. And I worked as a human naturopath for many, many years. But about 12, 11 or 12 years ago now, I've always had a real passion for animals. Ever since I was a little girl, dogs in particular were my thing. And when I left school, I, I really couldn't study anything like what I'm doing now it just wasn't available back mm-hmm. then so I I sort of went on and did some other things but yeah I decided that um, I wanted to move my healing work into animals and I retrained as an animal naturopath which is what it's called over here in Australia and uh, I've been working with dogs specifically and I do do work with cats as well but it's mainly dogs for the last sort of seven years in addition I I don't really work with humans now but um, dogs are a whole lot more fun I have to say (laughs) well I can imagine I can imagine far more compliant less 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 uh, cheeky behavior from them but yeah so that that's sort of what I've been doing I work one-on-one in clinic um in a Brisbane clinic here in Australia um to uh, work holistically with them and also I do a lot of uh, sort of Skype and phone consultations for people within Australia nationally and also some international as well because obviously not everyone can come and see me in in Brisbane so I love my work it's fantastic work extremely rewarding and it's quite a niche market in Australia because it's still fairly new here Um, I know it's growing in the UK and Mm -hmm. in the US but very much still new in Australia so I'm sort of a bit of a forerunner (laughs) as it were so yeah so that's where I am today yeah oh good for you that sounds great now as you say 
I mean, around the world, but certainly in the UK and the US, um, there's a growing interest in sort of how we can do things naturally for our dogs. So mm. what kind of sort of natural remedies and, and, and raw food, how can we use those to increase our dog's health? Yeah, well, Julie, you know, the, I, you know, it's an interesting thing because when I was working as a human naturopath, of course, I was seeing a lot of chronic disease. That's predominantly what we would treat. And, you know, as I go down the road now with animals, um, it's exactly the same, repeating itself. So what we're seeing today is really almost epidemic levels of these chronic diseases from arthritis to um, autoimmune diseases to cancers to chronic infections, all sorts of things that are just ongoing, recurrent, not responding to conventional treatment. And this is where natural therapies can really shine because, um, in you know, I, I always call it my toolkit. In my toolkit, I've got lots of things that I can help um, dog owners with their with their dog's issues that, that conventional medications just can't, you know, just can't touch. So my work is for, uh, based predominantly around raw feeding methods. So we know that nutrition is the foundation of health and we know that once we get our dog's uh, diet right, Right. And as I, as I said, raw feeding for me is the way that I do that. I do recommend organic raw feeding. Once we get that platform correct, we get that balance right with the diet. Oftentimes, Julie, a lot of these chronic issues start to resolve on their own, especially if they're quite, uh, you know, they're, they're more mild or minor issues. Now, if they're more severe issues, this is where we can come in and use a whole range of natural medicines, including herbs, which is what I predominantly use in clinic, uh, nutritional supplements, homeopathic re uh, remedies, um, as flower essences, which I love because they work on all the emotional patterns that um, dogs do carry. So we can incorporate these natural um, plant-based medicines um, into our dog's diet and into their into their lifestyle. And of course, there are many other physical modalities like massage and acupuncture and chiropractic therapies and these sorts of things uh, that all lead to what we call this holistic, this rounded um, approach to um, dealing with chronic disease. So we know that if we can treat the disease from what is causing it as opposed to just symptomatically treating it, which is what we do when we take our dog to the vet and we get a drug and so forth. When we look at the underlying cause of the disease and we treat that from that perspective and start to rebalance the body through diet, through detoxification, through healing the gut, through natural remedies, this is where we start to see incredible results. Um, things that were previously not responding in any way start to res respond and indeed start to resolve. So it's exciting because many times clients come to me and say, Lyndall, I have tried everything. I've done drugs. I've done all sorts of different medical interventions and they're not getting anywhere. And we look at the dog, we see what's going on with the health, work with the diet, work with some natural healing and we start to get the results. And within weeks to months, you're seeing a complete turnaround in health issues. So, yeah, extremely exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I mean, a lot of the, the drugs that we take for granted now, um, medicinal drugs, you know, we, we just take for granted. You know, they, they came from the plants, didn't we? We sort of, you know, harvested from yep. plants and we didn't always take all, all of the bits that we should have done. But so it, it, it seems natural that, that that's going to be a, still be a big um, resource for, for health. So you mentioned, for example, arthritis there. I have to declare an interest. My dog um, has been diagnosed with arthritis just, just in his front paw, but, you know, who knows. So how, how would you treat a dog with arthritis, or is it impossible to say, does it vary? 
Look, it does vary a little bit, but you know, in terms of treating any chronic disease, there are some baselines. So, um, you know, if you bring your dog to me with arthritis, let's just say that that um, your dog's got arthritis, uh, I'm going to first of all look at the diet. Now, if your dog's been consuming processed foods, now in Australia we have all sorts of brands of uh, kibbles from the cheapest that you'll buy in the supermarket to high-end veterinary prescribed diets to what we call more holistic processed kibbles and things like that. Essentially, it doesn't matter to me what it is. It's all processed food. So if if we've got a dog with arthritis that's consuming a diet based around processed foods, we know that these foods are very heavily grain-based. Even those sneakily marketed products that say grain-free are still based on starches. So all of these carbohydrates, starches, these are what we call pro-inflammatory foods. Now, pro-inflammatory means essentially just means increases inflammation in the body. So as arthritis is an inflammatory response, what we want to do, Julie, is reduce the inflammation. Now, we can do that in a wide variety of ways. We can certainly start off with an anti-inflammatory diet, which once again is a raw diet because that's based around beautiful proteins and vegetables that um, and good fats that really do reduce inflammation. Then we start to look at some natural remedies. Now, I like to use herbs. So there's lots of herbs that we can use to target inflammation, to um, improve circulation, to improve healing, to repair collagen damage in ligaments and tendons, to boost the immune system if we've got or to balance the immune system if we're talking about autoimmune uh, arthritis type problems so there's herbal medicines we can use things like green lip muscle which i think we talked a little bit about before we started yeah that's Um, amazing isn't it i'm just discovering this (laughs) it it is it's really does give very good results we have a product over here called rosip vital which was originally created in denmark but it's marketed in australia under canine rosip vital this is a high uh, strength rosehip uh, which is of course is a herb but in a powdered form which is very uh, anti-inflammatory for the joint so and omega oils you know you've got fish oil krill oil hemp oil uh, chia oil all these sorts of omega-3 fatty acids that do and the research you know is there to show that they do reduce inflammation so it is very much a there's Although you do have to target it to each dog, there are some sort of basic principles that that come into play. We also like to make sure that the gut is balanced because uh, if the gut's out of balance, any sort of inflammation can set itself up in the body, whether it's in the joints, in the brain, in in the skin, anywhere. So we want to make sure the gut's strong and healthy. And that's a lot of my work as well, dealing with leaky gut issues and things like that. Yeah. And I know that can cause all all kinds of problems, can't it? As you say, the gut's vital. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it's, there's hundreds of symptoms. You know, I, I think this is a thing that from certainly from a human perspective, we're only just now in the animal world touching on this, seeing how important the gut is. In Australia, everything's about the gut health at the moment for humans. And, I'm, you know, this is filtering through to the animal world. We know that dogs, much like humans, have 80% of their immune system in the gut. And if any of that gets out of balance through medications, vaccinations, processed foods, stress, chemicals of any kind, kind this will create imbalance and imbalance leads to uh, a potential leaky gut syndrome which can um, have far-reaching effects through the body it can cause all sorts of skin problems it can cause neurological problems it can cause joint problems and neuromuscular issues it can cause obvious gut issues as well like bloating and diarrhea and things like that but you know there's so many um, health issues that come back to what's going on in your dog's digestive system. So it's really paramount to focus any natural holistic treatment regime around the gut. 
So it's very yeah. important. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. once we've sort of got our, our dog um, either living healthily or living as healthily and happily as they can, you know, with, with that mm. condition, you know, when we've seen mm. him for that. Um, there's, there's then we've got the, the problems that, you know, all dog owners face. And again, to different extents, we, we were talking about before about the parasites that are around. And I know that you face a whole range, a whole host of things that, you know, luckily I don't have to face in the UK. But... Um, <laughs> You know, there's we as dog owners, we have to sort of wage this war against parasites, um, and then and, and there's, there's two huge areas here. You know, parasites, and then vaccinations. We have to sort of make our own decisions on on these issues. So, so tell me about how you you approach that. And I know I know that's two vast areas. So let's take parasites first. What what do you yeah. um, how do you do that? Yeah, well, my, the first thing I do want to emphasise, and I think this tends to get a little bit overlooked because, in, yes, you're right, in Australia there's about one million little bugs and critters around that, that, you know, we all have to, as Australians, we just can't live with. But we do certainly have big issues with fleas, ticks, worms, moss, mozzies, all the, all the, you know, heartworm, all these sorts of things. Yeah. So, yeah, the number one question I get asked from any person that has a dog, whether they're my client or not, is, um, aside from their dog's health issue, is what on earth do I do for fleas? ticks and worms that doesn't involve chemicals. So on one hand, we've got um, the fear of not wanting to leave your dog unprotected from parasites, whatever they may be. And on the other hand, you've got the concern about using these monthly flea tick and worming products that are highly chemical um, mm-hmm. chemical based essentially they're, they're, they're um, pesticides so um, it, it, it does get very difficult for some dog owners to be able to make that choice to take the leap of faith to go from what's uh, chemical based products which are supposedly you know very um, you know to give you guaranteed results over to a more um, natural regime so the first thing to remember is that if your dog's got a really strong healthy immune system through you know raw feeding you know, keeping the gut healthy, all these sorts of things, then any um, parasite that comes into contact with your dog, firstly, it's going to be far less um, affect. your dog will be far less affected by that parasite. But if they are affected by the parasite, they'll be much less affected internally or externally just because the immune system is doing what it needs to do. It's fighting them off. So that's the first key to any, um, whether you go chemical or natural, you know, you just have to make sure your dog's immune system is functioning well. If you've got a, a great immune system, but you still want to be, uh, you know, supporting the body, the body naturally through, you know, some non-chemical means, I use a range of products. So in Australia, I uh, use, obviously, we, I use herbs a lot. I do have herbal formulas that I make up myself for intestinal worms and also heartworm. And that does also have a homeopathic component to it. We also use uh, quite extensively a product called Diatomaceous Earth, which is a natural, um, it's like a volcanic-based mm. product. Mm. Yeah, it's, I'm not sure whether, I'm sure you'd be able to get it in the UK, but yes, it's... Um, yeah, but I think we can. Yeah, I've heard of it, definitely. Yeah, it's... It's very much, um, you, it's important that you do use food grade. I must emphasize that you do use food grade diatomaceous earth. Um, there are two, two types, food grade or what they call industrial pool, pool cleaning type foot, um, DE, but we want to make sure it's food grade. Now, um, diatomaceous earth has uh, the ability to kill off worms internally and it also externally will deal with particularly fleas and it can be helpful for ticks too. So the way wow. that it works is, if you have a look at diatomaceous earth under a microscope, it has these very fine little, almost like shards. Um, it's not harmful to your dog, but when those come in contact with a flea, for example, fleas have these lovely little hard skeletons and 
what those little shards of um, those microscopic shards do is essentially they slice through that that hard outer shell and what that does is it dehydrates the flea and the flea just dies naturally and mm. drops off and gone so it's essentially you would dust that over your cat uh, sorry your dog or, or even yes your cat's um body just being careful not to put it around the eyes or around the mouth because it can irritate the lungs if you do breathe it in but it is safe to use on the body and that will kill off externally but also internally it can be added into food for um, worm prevention we also use homeopathic remedies for flea and tick we have a flea and tick resistance remedy that does help build the natural resistance to fleas and ticks of course there's things like apple cider vinegar which you can add into your dog or cat's diet garlic there's a big thing about garlic i know people get concerned about using garlic um, as long as you stay within the boundaries of using um a, you know using you know the dosage is correct yeah, and of course yeah. that varies from dog to dog but it there is um, a range of dosages that you can give then it is very very safe and garlic of course does very much build the immune system it does definitely repel worms it's very good to um, what it does is it just builds the overall immunity and helps repel external parasites as well there's of course essential oil sprays too so we often will use some essential oils like rose geraniums a great one for ticks and you can dilute that and spray that on your dog as sort of like a, a repellent so there are some really good and generally what i do is put people onto a sort of a, a plan with that so we'll put them onto a herbal wormer we put them on the flea and tick drops and we'll put them onto a heartworm and that's done at a particular regime every month or every couple of months and that sort of starts to build the immunity over time and these products are very effective along with of course building that immune system so uh, it's it's probably important for your listeners to understand that there definitely are safe options out there that are effective and this is where this the fear kicks in people are scared that they won't work so it is um you know it is important to understand that these do work effectively but of course you have to use them in the way that they were um intended yeah yeah but yeah. i mean that's if you can face the array of bugs that you have to deal with with that you know those those natural products mm. then surely anybody can Look, yeah, I think that's true because we, we definitely are a country that seem to have everything known to man. Um, you know, every time we walk outside, you know, we've got 50 million flies around us and things like yeah. that. So, you know, um, and, you know, I've been using these products over the last seven years with virtually every client that I see, hundreds of clients, um, and I do sell them through the retail, on a retail level too. And I've always found them to be highly effective. But as I said, the key for me is getting back to that immunity that immune system and getting that prepping and working properly and when we do that so many of these parasite things don't you know they're not really an issue anyway so yeah yeah, Excellent. yeah. well you've, you've dealt with parasites then that's great <laughs> now I'm going to throw the other <laughs> big them off the list. <laughs> um, how appropriate you're going to throw them. me in the deep end with vaccinations aren't you? <laughs> I am yes <laughs> sink or swim in vaccinations there's an image for yeah, you <laughs> yeah yeah okay. look it's so highly contentious but yeah. I will give you my take um, and this is for certainly my professional professional and also my personal view um, from my perspective the, the problems that I'm seeing in clinic with the many, many dogs that I treat with chronic uh, health issues, most of the time I can trace, trace that back in part to these annual vaccinations that we are giving our dogs. So in Australia, our dogs are getting a C5, which is five vaccinations in one every year. This is 
obviously done through vets annually. There is a slight shift away from doing yearly to three yearly schedules, but still for a great majority of my uh, clients that are, that you know, people that do come to see me initially have had their dogs year in, year out getting these annual vaccinations. And these are, you know, it's just wreaking havoc with the immune system. It's creating all sorts of issues with um allergies and autoimmune diseases, cancers, all sorts of problems. Um, so, of course, the other thing I want to do is try and move people away from this religious fear mentality of having to vaccinate your dog every single year because it's absolutely not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we look at the research, um, Ronald Schultz, who's, Ronald Schultz, who's sorry, a professor in the States who's done many, many years research and work around this um area of immunity and and vaccinations with animals, dogs particularly, has done many studies to show that vaccines that are given as puppies, those puppy shots that Mm. we often, you know, must have get, these are lasting seven or eight years. In some cases, or many cases actually, these are lasting lasting lifelong. So it sort of starts, you know, makes you sort of think, well, why are we doing this every year? So when people come to me and they say, look, Lyndall, I don't want to be vaccinating my dog, but I really don't know what else to do. Once again, there are options. So I always give people a few options and it's always up to them. Of course, I always work with the client because it's totally, they've got to be totally on board and 100% happy with what they're doing for their dog. So they can sit and do absolutely nothing. They can never vaccinate their dog again. And that's a choice. That's personally what my own dogs, my dogs are not vaccinated, but that is my own decision. I do not put that on the client. Secondly, they can do what's called a teeter test or mm. it's maybe pronounced tighter I'm not sure yeah no I think I think yeah, we, yeah I think you might call it tighter <laughs> yeah I've heard them both over here now and, and I say I tried this with Buddy and it came yep. we have a, a three in one and I can never mm-hmm. remember the kimonos but two of them he was okay at and one mm-hmm. he needed a top-up but then the problem was here you can't get that as a single injection so I had to yep. have the the three the three in one right. again um, yeah. because, you know, otherwise he, he, and as you say, it's a personal decision. And then you think, well, now I know that he's low on two of them or below where he should be, you know, what do, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to do. So it is, and it's such an area that's, you've got so much guilt and, and you know, you're damned if you do and damned if you yeah. don't almost kind of thing. Yeah, and it is true. And I think, um, you know, although I have not yet seen a tighter test, um, through my own clients come back out of range. They've always been in range. Mm. Uh, the fact of the matter is that even in Australia, we uh, and I know in the US you can, but in Australia we still can't give isolated no, uh, vaccinations. No. So it is difficult. But once again, um, what I do find the great majority of my clients do tend to opt for either teeter testing or they choose to go. Uh, the other option is a homeopathic vaccination, which is not really called a vaccination. It's called a no-sode. So this works similarly but doesn't have the negative side effects. It's given on a complete completely different regime and so forth. Um, but that that is another option. That's particularly good if you've got a puppy and you want to start them off um, from the get-go from, from a holistic perspective. So, but if you, you know, if you've got a dog that's an adult dog or even an old, you know, an older dog, certainly if your dog's, you know, from the ages of eight, nine and over, so I would strongly get your, um, consider, you know, your listeners to reconsider whether they do need to to continually vaccinate that dog, especially if you've got an indoor dog or a dog that doesn't really, um, you know, that's not going into kennels or anything like mm. that. If your dog's just an at-home dog that mucks around in the backyard and that's about it, maybe goes for its walk every day, then really, um, you know, there's absolutely minimal 
um, minimal exposure to anything and remembering that even if they've had a single vaccination, um, these vaccines are lasting many, many years beyond what they are, you know, supposed to be um, valid for. So I think, but yeah, look, it's it's a very tricky issue and it's always the, the one for me with a client, the, a new client, it always is the one that takes me the most, most, um, you know, work in terms of getting the client to shift the mindset. And I certainly don't do it overnight. Most cases I work on them over a period of time to sort of say, let's discuss that vaccination thing again. And then they'll come around and go, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to talk about it. So, you know, I, I totally get that, particularly if you've been raised in the conventional medical model. It's a, it's a huge shift to go from what you're used to to what I'm, to, you know, talking about. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand that. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. And it is an area where there's so much misinformation and sort of anecdotal mm. stuff on the internet and you kind of read and go, oh my goodness. And then when you start to look into it, you go, oh, hang on, what does this actually mean? And, and so yeah. it is, it's, it, yeah. there's panic there, isn't there? I think this is it. It's very much, you know, I'm not sure how it is for you guys over there, but over here, you know, every single year you will get that letter in the post to say, dear Mrs. Smith, little Fluffy is now due for his or her annual vaccination. Please make a booking as soon as possible. So there's this real fear mentality that, um, you know, I've even had clients say to me when they first come to see me, my dog is one day overdue for its vaccination and I'm really scared. And they are genuinely frightened. Yeah. 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 And, And, you know, it, it, it sort of sounds funny, but they are genuinely frightened. Mm. So I, you know, then I've got to try and talk to them and say, look, you know, th- this is just, you know, there's no need to panic. You know, these vaccinations are, you know, much longer last. Mm. Week. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, th- there's there's a, that big fear hump that everybody has to kind of get over. And yeah. I think sometimes it's that leap of faith that you have to take when you're looking over the precipice and you go, I think I've just got to dump and hope to God I'm going to be okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, again, it's but, something, I mean, you can, you can look at your dog and see whether they've got fleas and things like this or ticks on them. Inter- internal parasites are more difficult, obviously. But with the vaccinations, you, it's, you can't look at them and discern, you know, whether they're no. okay or not. And um, I must admit, over here, more vets are sort of recommending a two-year or three-year mm. cycle with, with vaccinations. And luckily, a lot of um, kennels and, you know, alternative to kennels and things like that are saying, uh, we, we need a certificate that you're up to date with your vet. So they're moving away from demanding, you know, every single year. And they're going, well, look, as long as your vet is happy with where you are, then we'll accept that. And I think that's, that's quite a healthy move. Oh, it is. Um, we are less so open over here to that. Unfortunately, there are many, many kennels that are still um, demanding that certificate when, when the client goes in. So it is really difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I think in time it will shift, you know, well, never completely shift, but I think in time it will yeah. uh, have, a, there'll be a positive shift. But, you know, it all, once again, really just comes back to getting that immune system up and running, get that immune system strong. And it really doesn't matter what disease comes, you know, potential disease there is, your dog's got a far better chance of um, fighting it off or avoiding it altogether if their immune system's functioning as it should be. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you what's going to have to happen, Lindor. You'll have to open, um, you know, a natural kennels. I'm making work for you here, but you'll have to diversify. <laughs> yeah, so far now, I've got to become a natural kennels, a natural groomer, a natural. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's all pro- it's a very slow process, but yes, I think yeah. in time we are making small but significant leap, uh, um, you know, steps, not yes, leaps. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Okay. Excellent. So. Tell me now about your Happy Healthy Dogs program. 
Yeah, well, Happy Healthy Dogs came out of my reason for doing this work as it was many, many years ago as a human naturopath when I first found the benefits of natural therapies for myself and I just really wanted to share it. Um, Happy Healthy Dogs was really born out of that because all of my work revolves around the, at the, the base of it is really – the reason I do this is because I really want to make people aware of options and alternatives and that there are things out there that they can turn to if they've got a, a health issue with their dog. They don't just have to accept their vet's diagnosis in terms of saying there's absolutely nothing more we can do. You know, there's so many options out there. There are so many things you can do. So I, I really wanted to put together a program that um, – firstly, that I could access a large amount of people because obviously not everyone can come and see me, but that would really take people through what I what I see as the five steps to optimal health and happiness in your dog so um, that people could sort of start to learn this for themselves and implement this into their into the lives of their dogs so that you know their dogs can benefit. So what I've done with Happy Healthy Dogs is put together an eight-module self-paced learning course and each through each module we go through um, we talk about initially in the first module we talk about the holistic mindset and what it means to go down a holistic path as opposed to the conventional path because that's you know it's important that people understand that from the get-go and then they can the rest of the program makes more sense. Then we delve right into diet. We go into detoxification. We look at gut health and extensive, uh, extensively we look at gut health and how we can build our dog's gut health to overcome a lot of these chronic diseases. We look at stress because that is like one of the top things over here that mm. I'm dealing with all the time, anxiety issues. We look at natural ways to overcome that because so many people want to know about that. Um, I talk about I talk about how to put together raw diets properly. We go into the immune system. So it's really a, a, a sort of a, a, a to Z, I guess, if you like, of how you get your dog from if they're healthy, how you keep them healthy in optimal health. But if they're suffering from some sort of chronic problem, how you can get them to overcome that naturally, and it's um, you know it takes you through uh, takes you through that uh, yeah. whole process. And there's ongoing support through the program as well. I offer um, Skype support and email support so that you don't feel you're alone. That I can handhold you the whole way, and I can target this specifically your dog so if your dog's got arthritis if your dog's got you know some gut issues if your dog's got skin problems I can basically you know tailor make this to your dog um, within the program mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm really sort of proud of it and um, you know it's it's I'm looking to expand it over time but at the moment um, it is it's an eight eight module course but I'm looking to probably do a more advanced one at some point but um, I've created this as of the beginning of the year it's been online and if your listeners are interested in finding out more about that if they want to go to www.happyhealthydogs.net.au forward slash webinar they can uh, register for my free online training and just um, I've got a free webinar that they can listen to and it will give them some more great information about the program and what steps to take so Excellent, excellent. To me, it's about empowering people. If you give them the information, um, you Absolutely. know, and, yeah, and tell them the, the right, you know, authoritative information, and then they can mm -hmm. make decisions for themselves. But it is about empowering people, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Key key for me is to get people to take on that belief that they can they can take care of their dog with some simple tools. You know, they don't always need to rely on someone else to do this for them, and you know. 
I think that the thing I love about the this industry is that once people start, even just by making little changes, like just adding some fresh foods into the diet or just adding some, you know, like an omega oil supplement or a probiotic or something like that, just these little things that you can do to – you know, add into your dog's diet or changes that you can make, add, add filtered water instead of tap water. These things all can have quite profound effects fairly quickly because dogs tend to heal much more quickly than we do. So you will find that even making just some simple little things changes, um, you know, even that adding a bit of garlic to the food or adding a little bit of apple cider vinegar, all these things can you know, they add up to, to being really positive changes. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that yeah. must be lovely for the owner to see and lovely for you to see as well. Yeah, highly, highly satisfying. I'm, look, I have to say I do this work. It's purely selfish because <laughs> every day, firstly, every day I get to play with dogs. Who wouldn't want to do that? And secondly, um, you know, I uh, I get to see the results of these dogs um, days, weeks, months, you know, down the track and the beautiful f- follow-up pictures and then when they come back into the clinic and I see the changes, I see the tears in the client's eyes and the thanks yeah. that I get. Yeah. It's such a selfish work for me because <laughs> I, love, I love seeing all these results on the dogs because it just makes me – it does give me a lot of internal joy. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. lovely, lovely. Um, it's, I know it's a huge area when we can't cover it all, but is there anything that you would like to add that we haven't covered today? Look, I think the biggest thing for me is that we know that one of the biggest influences on our dogs today in terms of their health, um, aside from obviously diet, is or are, sorry, the chemicals that are coming into their world. And, and that can be internal chemicals and external, of course. So if we can just start to reduce the load of chemicals from our dog's perspective, this is going to have such profound impact on their health. So what do I mean by that? Let's have a look today at what we've... Um, not only what we're feeding our dog, but are we um, we feeding them, sorry, are we offering them filtered water or tap water? What are we cleaning our homes with? Are we using conventional cleaning products that contain bleaches and ammonia and things like this? Or are we, are we opting for maybe some more natural uh, cleaning vinegar, bicarbonate, soda, these types of things? What sort of products do we use in our backyard to, to um, get rid of weeds or to keep our gardens, you know, free of um, bugs and things like that? Are our dogs exposed to a lot of uh, internal medications that may not always be necessary? So I guess if people can just start to take a look at a few things that they might be doing today with their dog that they could maybe just swap, you know, maybe they could just change from using a chemical cleaning product to a more natural cleaning product. Maybe they could consider using some um, garlic and and, uh, some of the herbs or diatomaceous earth or some of those things to look at fleas, ticks and worms. You know, there are just some of these little simple things that we can just start to reduce the load of chemicals that our dogs are coming into contact. Even the shampoos and the sprays and things that we put on them always look to try and use natural-based shampoos that don't contain chemicals and that don't contain perfumes and things like this because all of these do actually go into the body through the skin. You know, we, we know that whatever goes on the skin goes into the bloodstream. So basically, if you can't eat it, don't put it on your skin is what I sort of say, yeah, which I know a lot of yeah. people say. So that's probably my take-home message because I think you know if we can just shift out a lot of chemicals you're going to have so much we're going to have much happier dogs healthier dogs yeah and that's what we want <laughs> oh, yeah we do yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the thing is you know we all want you know as we said happy healthy dogs and natural is, is a very attractive idea you know I want to be natural with my 
animals, you know. And, it, and sometimes it feels quite a scary issue. And you say you, you, you're stepping away from the accepted norm, if you like. But there are little things that you can, little steps you can take, aren't there? And then you can see how that feels. And then you can sort of take it gradually, can't you? Yeah, and I think that this is important. When a client comes to see me and they've got a dog that does have a chronic problem or maybe they don't have a chronic problem at all, maybe they're just curious about what I do, I always sort of say to them, look, this is these are, you know, we go through a history and consultation and do the whole thing and I'll say to them, look, these this is the plan that I'm going to set out for you. But to do this all in one hit is going to be so overwhelming that you will not do any of it and you'll go back to doing what you were doing before. So we don't want that. What we want is we want to start off by making, as you say, small changes. So let's just start by getting that diet right. And and let's even do that gradually. So we, whether we do that over a period of days, weeks, or even in some cases, months in some dogs, all of those changes from that perspective are still going to be positive. And once we get that going, and your, and your list is might be feeling comfortable with that they can go you know what I've got the diet under my belt now and I'm seeing positive changes and I'm happy about that so I think I'm I'm ready to try some natural worming product or I think now I'm ready to maybe have a look at what's going around my household and see if I can change some of those get rid of some of the cleaning products because hey that's going to be better for me as well Mm -hmm. so yeah I think um, I think it's important to know that we can't you know my journey from when I was 21 and had chronic fatigue has taken me I'm going to be 50 this year, so nearly 29 years Mm. um, of gradual learning and changing and and honing my diet and and all these things that, you know, I certainly didn't do this all overnight. It took me many years to get my head around all these shifts and, you know, it's an evolutionary thing. So don't... Um, I don't want your listeners to think to be frightened off that they don't want to do anything because it all sounds too hard. Just start today by looking at one or two simple things. And, you know, they can always contact me through my website or through email if they would like some support or even some ideas on how about how they might go about doing that. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned the website. Um, where can people find out more about you online? Yes, yeah, so my Canine Vitality website, which is my business, my offline business, is www.caninevitality, that's C-A-N-I-N-E, vitality, all mm-hmm. one word, .com.au, because we're in Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> also, there's a Facebook page, which I'm highly active on, which is www.facebook.com forward slash canine vitality, all one word, and of course, the Happy Healthy Dogs as well. Now, my email address is on my website and on my Facebook page, and I um, encourage your listeners to feel free to um, to contact me. I'm very, uh, I'm a very open person. I really love to help, and I'd love to help your listeners if they've got dogs that are you know, they're sitting out there listening to this and they go, yeah, I've got a dog that's got this problem. Maybe yeah. this lady can help me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. bring oh. it on. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I like Lindor's approach of taking things gradually and not getting overwhelmed, but doing what you feel comfortable with. If you do want to ask further questions of Lindor about taking the natural approach with your dog, we have links to her website, webinar and Facebook page on the Dogcast Radio site. Obesity is now the biggest health risk to our pets, with some research showing that almost 60% of dogs are at least overweight. Just to bring you up to date with how Buddy, our black Labrador, is doing. At 14 and a half years old, he's completely deaf and has arthritis in two legs. We found out recently that he also has a degenerative issue in his spine, so every day with him is now extra precious. But for the moment, thankfully, his tail is wagging, he wants to play and enjoys short walks. 
we're looking into getting a stroller or trolley so that he can get out and about on longer walks and meet people, which is his great joy in life. Everyone is his best friend. That's all for this time. So till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. How are a dog and a marine biologist alike? One wags a tail and the other tags a whale.